Hey there, welcome to The Colour Couch, which is brought to you through Lao Post and presented by me, Vincent Taylor. Now, if you don't know who Lao Post is, then hold everything, go check them out. Uh, they're an awesome creative learning platform that's for everything you need to know in this crazy post-production world. Uh, if you don't know who I am, I'm a wannabe talk show host who says I'm too much and has a day job as a colorist. Actually, sometimes that day job is a night job as well. Enjoy the podcast. All right. This is, believe it or not, season two of okay. The Color Count. Oh, thanks for having me. Well, you know, we'll see. Give it a few minutes if it works. We'll go with it. If, if not, we'll get somebody else. All right. I'll just go um, out on the fire escape. I just got that, that way. That's real. I'll pack home. My name is Vincent Taylor, I'm your host with Color Couch, and I have my very good friend, Chris Mouch. Now, do I say Chris Wolfgang Mouch, or do I say Chris That's Mouch? fun, because it's- Because a, Wolfgang's awesome. It's a pretty cool name. Yeah. I'll go with that. So, my friend Chris uh, Wolfgang Mouch is here, and he is a storyboard artist. That's which, right. I, I kid you not, I'm in awe of that. I think that's an incredible, incredible gift and, and power to have in filmmaking, because it's just to be able to- portray that 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 timing and that storytelling it's something i've always been fascinated in. and when i knew uh i mean we went out for a drink the other day and it just went hang on a second i should i should talk to you on the on on the show this is so cool it's so awesome yeah and i i remember reading this uh and i'm guessing it's true reading this thing about alfred hitchcock yeah because he was an amazing artist yeah and apparently after he'd storyboarded the film he kind of wasn't that interested in making the film because in his head he'd kind of done it yeah i heard a take on that uh, maybe that's i wonder what that means by that interested as in it was kind of the work was done in a sense yeah. with the boarding so this may we'll discuss it i don't remember how i read that or how i came to that, that discussion about his boarding process but he felt that when he walked on the set that was just execution the work was done just put it into the camera and he could sit back a bit because there it is that's what we need so make that happen. Can we do that today, guys? And uh, ver- and then that sense maybe being a bit detached versus being like yeah. uber present, like he's got to make it happen then. It's done if you can record what the image is. Yeah. That might be a different take versus him being but, attached, but that might be true too that he's checked out. He's a weird guy too. That. Yeah, true. Yeah. Now, it's, it's going to be difficult to talk to you only because I don't have a like an agenda in order because there's so many things I want to ask you about, about storyboarding. But, but I, I guess the traditional and obvious thing to start off with was is where you come from you know what got you into this as an artist uh part of my narrative would be that i was very i was kind of picked on not all the time but around middle school my life got kind of a bit rough i think i always had like it was everything was wonderful in elementary school and then around middle school something kicked up where having uh i mean the son of two immigrants and uh, i have an older half sister but raised on my own i was kind of alone and left to fend for myself around the beginnings of the puberty thing and the world got a bit harsher. I got picked on a bit and I didn't know how to relate as well to the specific kids. And I grew up with some pretty brutal assholes in Long Island, which are, became my friends later on. And it's a, I'm actually really proud of that. I think it made me very socially gifted at a certain level. I can hang in weird environments that I'm not sure all the kids today can. Because I hung out with real sons of guns. It became like, like the movie Boiler Room, like sharks on Wall Street and lawyerly types and just like really like quick-witted, cutthroat kind of funny bastards, right? So anyway, that's the same group you can have. They could, you could be on the wrong end of it and could totally destroy your self-esteem. And then later on, you can figure out how to 
that's who you're left with, those same peers. So you end up hanging out with them later on drinking or in smoking, I guess. So nothing was special about me. I wasn't a very good athlete. I thought I might be, I wasn't. I thought I was very cool, but I wasn't really. You know, I was just like nothing really special. But the drawing thing, uh, maybe here and there, a couple of people, like a cousin, I remember distinctly looking at my drawing sketch pads and like them and, and asked me about what is going on in there. And I would take over for 10, 15 minutes, tell them about all the aliens fighting each other. And the art in video games kind of turned me on, and I tried to replicate that. And then you meet your first friend who has comic books, and they bring you to a comic book store, and you buy a little comic book cards, and you're starting to draw Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And somewhere, the drawing vibe, I kept coming back to it. I had supportive, I think, parents, but it wasn't like they were saying, go draw now. I just did it. It was one place I could be creative. And also kind of an OCD household. I wasn't tinkering with oh, let me take apart a clock and put it back together. I'm always fascinated by these kind of kids. Or here's the, the garage filled with screws and bolts and nuts. My dad's a carpenter, but it has serious OTD. And he never really taught me how to do all that stuff. It was more like, I w- it was there for me in a lot of ways, more intellectually, and how to think philosophically about life. But wasn't I never got my hands dirty because I couldn't really make a mess in the house. Or pencil and paper became a medium that I could use wow. to create. And... Uh, Video games was another place that I could get lost in, and I, the art from video games was my first art that I really got. Yeah, took me away, and very so. It's very funny. It's only a eyedropper full of those type of inspiration. Going to the Met, my dad introducing me to knights. I love knights. Knights in shining armor, stories of Siegfried and German tales, and guys jumping over walls for their as they're about to get executed, and they ask for one rat last ride around the the courtyard with a horse, and then charges for the wall and hops over and makes it and clear because this horse he had his whole life you know and they makes it over the horse and all these different stories about that i loved and when i went to the metropolitan museum of art i would just stay out by the knights there's tons of knights uh, and armor and swords and i didn't care about the other art i cared about the knights it was a really really strong image uh and eventually found something called dungeons and dragons where story started to meet the fantasy things I was very interested in and uh, in a very serious way I think that's when the seeds of what would later become storyboarding came from first is always an interest I love the art Yoshitaka Amano is a guy who did the art for Final Fantasy from the very first Final Fantasies is a brilliant Japanese artist are you familiar with that do you know that guy? I know the name but yeah, like, yeah. he did all that art and that's like a weird European influenced Japanese he's just a brilliant brilliant fine artist that would use any medium near him to create fantastic emotional and sensitive types of drawing his heroes would be soft and angelic Mm. so the archetype of like purity and angelic and beauty and the form would mix together and then there'd be a sword in there or a dragon or a weird creature so it's a very interesting combination of qualities I think that's what makes it so appealing it's not like a hard hardened warrior like Frazetta but were you were you you know like I know in with the beauty of hindsight we can look back and go yeah that influenced me there and that shaped me there and and you know and we can kind of thread the narrative together a little bit but were you conscious at the time of going oh this is something that I'm good at or something that maybe I can make a living out of one day or not at that point which is kind of cool like in my middle school years my friend Joseph Amarini Michael Patrick a couple of like out, outliers that's been my best friends are the outliers and a bit of the weirdos and we play Dungeons and Dragons and at a certain point I would I was compelled to draw 
the characters from our adventures and put them into the scenes of the adventures. And I would use everything I had to do it justice. So I was paired up with a pretty great storyteller, like this guy, Joseph Emery, who was my best friend at the time, cared deeply like a writer. He was obsessed with writing. I hope he's writing somewhere right now. He, he cared about the hero in the stories and the heroes and us embodying those heroes and taking us through. And he was comfortable with holding space for the other friends of ours to be the heroes. And he could oversee the world and he loved that. And, to, and we all would dive into this mental, beautiful space. And maybe like it was my childhood, like I felt in that area, it was, it was a hard, I might've been depressed in, in aspects of myself. Like there's worse childhoods, I wasn't, wasn't bad like that, but it was, it was a little hard, I think, maybe for everybody. Um, I wouldn't want anybody to have all of the pieces that I had. It was a bit weird and, uh, and amazing too. Very, I love my parents. Uh, but that space was everything. I, had, I felt powerful, I had adventures. My imagination ran well. My friendships were, were so solid because we were literally solving problems together. Uh, what happened there was a really cool thing and that led to drawing at, on my school. At the, we did, I had a mural in a computer room where we had three, four, Badass PCs where had them sync together on a LAN, so we were playing video games together while everyone was in class. People would duck out from the bathroom and meet in this room, which is like a glorified closet. And in there, I put a huge mural with this friend of mine. And along the way, I looked up a website for Warcraft um, before World of Warcraft, but just it was just Warcraft. And I saw there were job opportunities, and there was two jobs. One was a character artist, the other was a computer artist. And there was some reference. I was like, "That's that's an, a warrior elf. I'll use as a reference." And I was drawing my own warrior elves and I was like, oh, you know, that's not too far away. Job opportunity, I'm in 10th grade now. Maybe that's a possibility that I could go to art school because I'm, what am I, so that or I'm gonna work for an insurance company and I'm not good at math, you know, I'm like a C student. So what am I gonna do? And uh, I had friend, my art teachers were very cool to me. They gave me like, they believed in me, they saw something and kind of gave me that encouragement. Gosh, that's important, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. you just need one or two. Yeah. That kind of became a thing where I was like, all right, we're going to try that. And I started to care about the art school uh, and, and doing my art portfolio and stuff. And I kind of got my grades together a little better as soon as I dumped French, five years of failing French. And I'm, I'm Haitian, so I'm supposed to speak French, but I had five years of getting C's, D's, and F's in French because I couldn't do language. I have a little bit of a dyslexia or something. Right. But you had to do it because of the regents or you got to do it for whatever reason. And nobody said, hey, why don't we drop that? And let you focus on something else versus dragging down your GPA, feeling bad about yourself, doubling up on you being kind of dumb, that narrative that you're not smart. Mm. Which, so, <laughs> I look back like, man, this is a little bit of effort would have gone a long way with some individual attention like that, where someone was really looking out for you that wasn't your parents that could see other sides of your being. So at the stage where you were really starting to formulate a, you know, even, even if it was a little bit subconsciously that idea about going to art school, so then what happened? Art school wasn't, oh, wouldn't it be nice? It was out of desperation. It's the only shot I have, okay? There's nothing else. That's important to recognize. And I hope, I did, as a teacher at, at art school, I ended up teaching at this art school. I didn't get in either. I didn't get into the two art schools I applied to out of high school. I was then left to go to the community college, which I actually enjoyed a lot. Two years at community college and at Nassau Community College. And then uh, I applied again after two years. My GPA was a little better. And then I, I got in SVA at that point, which I was surprised actually because the interview didn't go as well as it did the first time. The first time it looked like I was going to get in and I didn't get in. Uh, but having two years of kind of partying and coming into myself and not like, I was still basically being an 
18 to 20 year old is still pretty weird and wonky and drinking and not really understanding who you are kind of like tasting areas of desperation and the reality really became clear that I could not stay in the hometown in the Long Island where I grew up there wasn't this path there the paths were pretty much already aligned almost like if you kind of had enough wealth you kind of were going to get the job and you had a way of thinking that you were going to just keep getting on mm-hmm. you didn't have to even study in school you get A's somehow mm-hmm. I had friends like that or the parents had a business and that was like it was kind of like easy and they could go spend money in Atlantic City and drink and have these huge tabs and I didn't have that money I had to work for everything and it wasn't anybody going to take care of me in a couple of years and I wouldn't be able to be myself so it was a bit of a desperation to exist and live so it's like it's a lot to say about having hardship or pressure real worries there's real no protecting from the real world. I was going to meet some. I was going to exit the cannon at one point, And where is I going to? Where is the the cannonball going to land? I needed to go to an art school because that was all I had. And I was doing tattoos. I was still getting a little rewarded for like not tattooing, but I would draw the tattoo that my friend would have. Mm-hmm. And I know I would stay in at night and I would get into the zone, listening to music. You put the CD on. By the time the CD's finished, you're already like now you're in cloud nine. And you'd break through your ADD and you'd start creating worlds. And it was cool. And I had friends that were supportive of that. And um, I could always make somebody happy. I could always change a subject to a positive place when it was about creating worlds. And they were supportive of me developing that. And it wasn't about me. It was never like, oh, you're doing this and it's competitive. And like... self-worth from that and that's kind of set it up and then uh, I about 20 and turning 21 or 20 I think the year I turned 20 right the year I turned 20 I went and I took to stepped into my first day of school of visual arts in New York which is very exciting in a computer art department which was like still kind of new this was like I don't think we had Finding Nemo yet it wasn't out yet it was like Ice Age like with three a year, each each season had a 3D movie that would come out by one of the big studios. It was still way more rare mm. than it would become now, where it's we're inundated by 3D animation, and we still only had those two job opportunities. It was still very new, and uh, you needed good grades to get in there. So I kind of just squeaked in somehow in a de- the only department that required like an A average or a B plus average or something. And uh, there I started meeting the first day. Each person I met was like a sibling long lost I'm still very close with all the f- people I went in to school with on the first day I, I remember having this uh, having this experience and I went to because I did like an engineering certificate I was, mm. a, I was a draftsman for six years doing this drafting okay. thing and da, da, because I wanted to be like my dad my, my dad wasn't a draftsman but he was quite mechanically minded and quite yeah. you know and I went I want to be I want to do something da, da, like my dad so it was like six years of going in the opposite direction to what my heart wanted to do, which was, wow. was which is either some kind of art or some kind of you know. So when eventually, I kind of went fuck this, and I and I went to a film school. Uh, I left New Zealand, went to a film school in Australia, uh, and actually uh, the first time I applied, I didn't get in. Which, okay. Which was the best thing that could have happened. Yeah. Because then it made me go, actually, I really want this. Yeah. But I remember the first day at the film school, and we all went out for lunch, walking along. And then somebody stopped and went, whoa, look at the light in that tree up there. Everybody stopped. 
everybody stopped and looked and went, oh, yeah, look at that. Look at the way it's bouncing off that. And I went, oh, I'm with my siblings. You're with I'm your with siblings. my, you know. And you would have been there, your friends would be like, yeah, <laughs> shut up, Vincent. Keep walking. Oh, your absolutely. friends would totally get pick on yeah. you for that. I was yeah. like totally like, oh, Mouch, you weirdo. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, it felt, and I was in school in Chelsea too. It was like I felt really connected to that. We're all outlier outsider, on the edge of the ring of the tribe. And then, so so that was like a degree course, or what was that course that you? Were, that that so? was that ended up being a B. Bachelor of Fine Art with yeah. a concentration in computer art, and that's what all the BF, all the School of Visual Arts does. They give out BFAs with concentration in film or photography or design, and it's a pretty well known coming out from like the illustrators of the fifties, post world post World War Two. Uh, all the GI Grant, I think, like people coming back from war, they were given jobs for illustration, which was a big deal, mm. and uh, graphic design and that kind of stuff, and it kept evolving over time. So it has a pretty good history that school and that department turn into a pretty decent department for uh, teaching computer art. As you were approaching the end of that course, or even during it, did you start to get a sense of where you were maybe heading toward, or were you just kind of... The freshman year was probably one of the most amazing years of my life for the power that came from the community of people I was with then. For the first time, I was surrounded by all these like all-star young human beings that all had this like empathetic vibe that could connect and wanted to connect and had respect for one another. And then you could be, you're accepted as you are. Everyone had a good sense of humor. Everybody could party. We didn't need a sorority or fraternity. If you were, if you're down to party, you were in, you know. And if you were working, you're lighting the fire with everyone else. You can come into class and create fire with one another. Wow. And that was like this real experience. So you were really doing work for your friends because you want to turn it out for them. You want them to get to do like damn, and get go up, is the thing, and it beca- it was part of like what school was like. I think we all view that period like that, and I actually don't know if that's always something that's gone into the department. It's one of the reasons I went back to teach, not just to teach this specific set of skills, but the vibe of taking care of one another in a very challenging computer career. Too, you got to learn this technical stuff. You got to share. You can't learn that shit without sharing. And uh, freshman year, I got straight A's. Every class was A's, and I deserved every A. There was no baloney about it. I, I earned every A. I never had that in my whole life, wow. and I felt confident. I got a great girlfriend. Uh, I was working. I was hitting the gym. Like I don't know how I slept, and I was still partying quite a bit. Then it started to get a little more serious sophomore year, and I started switching over learning the more computer-savvy stuff. There wasn't as much in the first year. It was more just art school and fun and your traditional animating and fine art, filling a sketchbook, all these great things. And then... Uh, the storyboarding and the illustration started to peak. I looked around and I was able to draw in a way there weren't few. There were very few people, almost no one who was drawing like I was drawing in this computer art department. And my whole MO is one day I made this Beauty and the Beast. The characters were intimate with one another. It was like a naked girl and a big beast, like a lion kind of thing, uh, samurai style. They were connecting. I spent days getting the hand to fit into the hand, to just get the hand right. And this goes back to being, when I was a kid, doing the Dungeons and Dragons. Just to get the posture right so the, ca- the hero looked heroic. It didn't, if the balance isn't right on the character, how the posture stands, they don't look cool. They don't feel like a badass. Mm-hmm. So you just go back and do it. Or the hand gesture doesn't look right, so you're down to the hand and you keep fixing it. And you just don't stop because there's this weird desire to get it right. It made me think it's not like you've... And, and 
this is something that fascinates me about art or, or creating in general. It's not like you know you, you you do some calculations and go, ah, I'm out by two digits. There's something when you've done it and you go, that's not right. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's not a kind of a you scan it through some machine. It goes, no, sorry, that's not. There's something in your heart or your gut that yeah. goes. Yeah, and you know, you could make the argument there's. It's just like mad, sophisticated. Like it's in there. Your processor understands what a gesture is supposed to look like. Mm. Something holding two figures, the silhouette, let's say, of two figures making contact with one another looks different than if one is looking away. You know, there is programming that sees, and it's sophisticated. You can't put it into words, but it's real. And there's there's kind of math going on under there too. You know, there's 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 a reason why you could say yes or no. Like, yes, continue, or no, go the other direction. There is, like, weird things. So it gets pretty trippy pretty fast. And that's another discussion we can get into of, like, looking back at, like, uh, I think in Buddhism there is uh, one of the first things that caught my attention. And to be honest, I have not heard too much more about it outside of this very opening explainer uh, on the Lam Rim, the path, where it talks about five professions or something, or five trainings. And it's like, literacy like reading and writing and like mathematics and like the healing arts and then there's like art and music or poetry or something like that and and then there's like dharma there's like a couple of standard things kind of like what you would be in a curriculum in a college or a school yeah. you know yeah. and i was like what are these things and what i later on i looked at it, i was like oh i think that if you were to take any one of them all the way you'd see through the matrix mm. You, if you take, if you walk any one of them all the way through, like if you're a doctor, and you start dissecting the body, and you're working with patients, and you're watching the miracle of a, of a patient healing itself, or if I put this concoction near this, there's change going on. You're going to eventually walk into awe. Uh, it's like a logic riddle. The logic will shoehorn you out of logic mm. if you use it like a Zen koan. And a profession, I think, can do the same. If you start to walk far enough deep, a DP, perspective. Hey, I've actually changed the lens. It's not like it's a human's head looking at that environment. It's a lens. It's a, it's a strange objective choice that's simulating the subjective, but it's not the subjective. It's still an enhancement. It's still a caricature wherever you put the lens of what the human's perspective is going to be. It's not a direct. It's kind of, what is that? Mm. You're just going to follow someone exactly pound for pound. You're going to put the wide lens, make them feel like the world's caving in on them. We're going to be like really myopic with the long lens you know you're gonna make choices like that so you start getting in that place like you see you're already smiling there's a part of you is like what the hell's going on here you know what what is it going and i think there's a anyway something to do that with uh with the art in any profession but i but i think that that's you know i always i I know when i was uh, i'm a big science fiction reader and 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 reading isaac asimov and and you know with this whole foundation series about how it was mathematics how they use mathematics to predict the future and stuff like that and how all of a sudden these these things that seem so opposite like mathematics and art or something like that you bring them close together and they're actually in sync with each other and, and you need you need, and you need abstraction that, yeah because there ain't no actual zero and then you start talking like my, I've got two three math professors in my family my my two of my nephews and my sister yeah. one of them is a big data scientist so but he's still a mathematician that debates with my other one he's a valedictorian NYU T- professor, he's like 26, and he's like head of the union now at one of the schools he teaches in Brooklyn, and he's going back to NYU teaching the teacher, so he understands. And he'll talk about infinite infinite numbers and all this inverse stuff. And you're like, this shit's so abstract. 
And, you know, it's like, where are you getting... There's no... I can't even talk that language. I'll get blown out. Um, <laughs> so from from the visual arts course, and, and you were kind of... You were loving that, right? Loved it. Happy, confident. Things were coming together, having good girlfriend, good relationships. And uh, there was the moment of like, all right, are you going to stick your head out now? The next thing is, are you going to actually be able to work? Because that's the big question. This was a... Uh, as much as I thought when I was younger that I was in like the best art school around because I'm really confident, it's also like a very working class school that could call almost like a technical school. Like you're walking away with how to use the tools. Like you're not going walking away with a strong, strong liberal arts education like you might get if you went to Harvard. You're going to read lots of books and learn the theory behind why you're going to use the tool. Here you're just le- learning how to use a tool and you're going to get as much theory as you can handle. But we're going to make sure you can work because you came to school to get a job too. You know what I mean? There's like Yale style artists that can understand a lot about film theory, but they're not actually making the movies, you know? And I realized uh, later on that, oh, I, I didn't, it, it's not a knock. It's just like an honest assessment. It's like, oh, that's not liberal arts. It's technical, but I was able to use After Effects and Maya and I could work and I could make shit. I could animate in 3D, which is like what it was about. I want to create something get to it and there's different ways to get, hit the same animal and I well the question was like I can actually get a job and I was my best friend Carter Gunn found an ad in Craigslist for Darren Aronofsky needing looking for interns wait 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 wait. it was on Craigslist I think something like that yeah that's and, sensational yeah and then it's a guy Serge Patsek put out the ad and that became a pretty famous producer later on which I worked with a bunch I made a studio called First Avenue Machine which is like a pretty famous um high-end visual effects boutique type studio, production company. And uh, he was an intern too. He was like a PA. Wow. And he put out the ad. And I, it's just like very funny. I remember tracking it because I'm like, that made a very big difference because I was looking for my first job. And the other ad I found was like doing a a, uh, a pet uh, logo for a veterinarian on Long Island. Right. That might have been what my first gig was out of school, but the very first internship was that. And there I met Dennis Schrecker and Jeremy Dawson and Ari Handel and Eric Watson and Darren Aronofsky. And these were five guys, plus all the other people who worked there. Elizabeth Raposo became the head of Paramount. And she was like working for them and kind of getting like working long hours and being a bit frustrated with like what they were putting her through. And I was like, this is a crazy little world, but I was just a kid. And I was working for food and a little bit of pot now and then. And uh, But I could draw. And I think the guy before me who was drawing on the project was James Jean. The famous illustrator who makes like the kids and kind of like you know beautiful arrays and patterns and that guy's a really serious sick illustrator who came out of SVA and I think he was working on the project that I came in just before and I'm nowhere near what James Jean can do but I kind of took over because I think he realized he was amazing and so it's like I'm gonna do what my own fine art enough hanging around with you guys uh, and I was like happy to take over and I started doing character designs for a weird pitch they were doing, it kind of looked like Zootopia, but for mature for um, like Disney. Disney was funding them a bit to do like a pitch, and that's what we're working on. And uh, that was the biggest break I ever had in my life. It changed the whole course of everything because I was with two brilliant visual effects supervisors that were working together every day. They had did Frida, they did Wrecking for a Dream, they did all Darren's movies at that point. Darren only had made two movies at that point, too. He didn't. He was trying to make the fountain. Fountain fell apart with Brad Pitt, and if that never happened, I would have had a very different career. I probably would have went into video games or something. And um, and then I started storyboarding 
whatever they needed, and I do character design. And like look back, I was like, some of this stuff is really beautiful. I wonder if I could sit and draw and have the patience to draw, like a uh, an otter executioner with a big battle axe, like you know, in the right pose, like with all the details. Like I don't sit there on a big piece of paper and draw it. Now I'm doing stuff digitally, but it was all done with my grid paper mm-hmm. by hand. Like that's how you learned how to do it because I wasn't working in Photoshop then. Mm-hmm. I didn't have Cintiqs then. So the Wacom didn't quite adjust, so it wasn't a great medium yet. Well, I mean, that, that, that's something I really want to touch on later, is, is how the technology has changed for your job. But, all right, so you, so you did the internship for, for, for those folks, and, um, and off the back of that then, did, did that cement for you that you went, yeah, this is, this is it, this is what I want to do? Or you yeah, yeah, it, it did. And I think what happened was, it was the people, Dan and Jeremy uh, specifically, like Darren's doing his own thing he's directing and he's like writing and having meetings with different people so I'm not like working with him directly every day but he's around and we did it at the right time and, and uh, Dan Jeremy I was working with every day and I, just the way they approached design made me think differently which you could not get in school and that was they were both brilliant and they both went to Harvard they were all classmates so all those five guys are friends they all went to schools together, school together and Jeremy did like Tribe Called Quest's album covers and stuff. He ended up becoming Wes Anderson's producer on everything Wes Anderson does. So he's currently like Wes Anderson's producer for the last 15 years. Uh, and Dan Schrecker's worked on visual effects for all kinds of movies through Hollywood and been in the effects soup overseeing all the different departments. Big, big, big jobs. And uh, we saw problems there. I found one other intern who was making a movie. And I think when I was a junior in college, I met this other kid and I said, wait, you've been here all this, this three months too? Yeah, I'm, I'm here on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I'm here on Wednesdays and Mondays. Oh, no wonder we never met. Well, what are you doing? You're at NYU? He's like, yeah, I'm making my junior thesis. Like, well, I'm, I do, I've been doing storyboards. You need help? Because I thought that's what you're supposed to do. Right. You should ask someone if they need help because you're interns together. I just kind of made that up. And I said, well, I should help you. What do you, what do you need? Because it's like, it's part of the team. And I, and I went, Three and I had a really beautiful girlfriend at the time, and I remember every Sunday morning, instead of sleeping in, it's been another a couple hours there. I was like, okay, I gotta leave. I'm gonna go hang out with this kid I met at the coffee shop near NYU. And I remember I did three Sundays in a row, and we storyboarded his whole thesis, and he ended up shooting it. And I knew, and I had done storyboarding in class, and I did some scenes for Dan and Jeremy for the trailer, which they used very well, and they even used the art from the storyboards in the After Effects comp. But this was an entire short film. And I watched how happy this guy was. And I did the job as I was taught how to do it by a guy named Brent Richardson, who was a teacher at school. Uh, and I saw how happy he was. And I was like, that's the job well done. I did my job. I did the job. And that teacher, Brent Richardson, was great too. He showed me how to do a job in one day, in the first day I met him. That's an honest, serious guy who said, all right. Y'all have your paper, here's a chalkboard, here's shot one, let's go. And he did it just like as if I was coming to a client, and I appreciated that so much that someone, just meet you, you're in my class, I'm going to show you how to do this job. I needed that. I needed to have a job. I needed to make, I didn't need philosophy that much, as much as I needed to be able to be on my own and get the fuck out of my house. Love my parents, but I was going to die there. Long Island's a great place to raise somebody, but not to become an adult. I don't think. That's what I feel. I feel like leave that behind. And then uh, a couple months later, Dan's like, hey, I got an email from a producer looking for a young, cheap storyboard artist that will help us on a feature film. And I was like, I'm your guy. 
let me just some introduction and then I met I showed a couple work they're like you're great and I started to work then with Zach Braff and Larry Schur you might know Larry Schur Larry Schur is a big time DP he wasn't that famous then but he's shot the Joker yeah. and a ton of other shit and uh, he shot Garden State and this was Garden State as it's being made I didn't know it was called uh, Large's Arc at the time I was like oh, yeah, I've seen Scrubs on TV this guy's cool <laughs> and I, I was you know he wasn't that much older than me, even the guy who, you know, even looked the same. I had the same haircut as him. And uh, I would go and work two days a week. And I stayed up all night uh, each time, like right to the deadline, like an ADD C student. But I was getting the work done. And I'd ride my scooter skateboards over there, show up, hand-drawn, go over with Larry and get the next bound to work with uh, Zach and Larry. And then I boarded the entire movie of Garden State in my junior year. I, I want to touch on that for a second. So just using Garden State as an example... You know, you've got this this script, this 120 page or however many page script it is. Where the heck do you start? Do you start at the beginning? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. Not every time. Sometimes. And every single time is different. comes down to the personality. Storyboarding is a bit mysterious in the sense there is no rule book for it. And it's hard to learn it because there's nobody really directly teaching it. It's, a str- it's not like you'll get a course. I was very lucky to find a teacher that would explain how to do this one job. That you get paid for the day. You finish the job, there's your check. And I was like, that sounds like a good paycheck for one day's work. What? How do I do this? And um, there's no one really teaching you. So each director uses it. They might have learned how to use storyboards or learned it from another article. you know. And you'd be surprised how many times it's even a, a well-talented person is their first time directing, so they're using it however they think. They're not quite sure. There, Larry Scher is the DP. He knew his shit. So he and, and uh, Zach's a comedian and an actor and a writer. And he knows what the basics are of how to use the camera, but he doesn't need to. But he's been in, on TV. He's not sure of how to do the bigger cinematic jobs, maybe the same way. But together, they were doing little thumbnails for me, like 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 literally uh, a circle, like a stick figure, mm. and said, "That's kind of what we want. Something like that. And we want the the wallpaper texture to match." When they're saying that kind of stuff, are you taking notes or something? You just yeah. remember? No, or... I'm taking notes. Right. I'm taking notes and. <clears throat> I think they gave me like a photocopy of the thumbnails too. Mm-hmm. So I was in good hands. I think they realized like, hey, we got a 22 year old or something storyboarding our feature film, even though we don't have a big budget, we need to like help this out as much as possible, but we're happy we have a fun, happy guy who has a rec- who knows somebody, so he's not gonna just walk away. And then and then for a, um, for a scene, do you, and I suppose this is job dependent, but do you storyboard every shot in that scene or do you storyboard core elements of it? How does it work? Again, it depends on what the director needs. Um, after the Garden State movie, I think the next year, I, I was like, all right, they were getting the fountain together. And it was like, Chris, I remember very distinctly, Darren's like, do you, you ready to drop out of school to, to do this? Like to get this ready? I was like, no, hell no. I'm making my thesis. Fuck you. I was like, I'm not dropping out for my to do my. I'm doing my thesis. I spent a year putting my 3D animation thesis together. So it was cute and funny, but I was serious, and I think that he liked it. I think I was very good that I did that because I was closing in on finishing. And he went to Harvard. He's gonna tell people to drop out of school. Like no. So I, it was a little warm up, and then as soon as I finished, I, I this the week I was graduating, I had started. So I took a day off to graduate. I remember I was like, the best damn thing. Maybe that's honestly looking back, that place made me believe in karma. That there's something going on in life, or just because it was too good that I could line up and understand how to use those guys. That I understand how to interact with them and make the relationship work. 
there were other interns who came and went. It didn't have meaning for them the same way. They left frustrated. They didn't get what they wanted out of it, or they wanted to just be close to the action or get something they couldn't get. And I had a different take on it. It was like very much like understanding how to be with a teacher. I'm learning. I will get you coffee, and I won't be diminished by it. It's not small. It's cool. I'm happy to just eat lunch and have a conversation. And that was my attitude. I recognized it later. No, very few people I know had that kind of experience as an intern. And maybe working in a commercial house, it wasn't treated that same way. There's still people there who have kind of unresolved issues dealing with an intern. They actually don't give the intern everything. They're still miserly on giving things away because they haven't really accomplished maybe what they want. But there, they had accomplished so much that they were more generous. And it, it was more easy to give it away, give me the scraps or give me whatever. So um, I'm not sure if I'm answering that exactly. You were asking, how uh, do you do every every shot? Yeah. Darren, when I started with him, he already had boarded aspects of the movie with some other professionals, a different version. And they were, I think Jim Lee actually did some storyboards for the original Fountain. Looking back, I saw, yo, he's got Jim Lee art on the walls. That Wolverine, X-Men, comic book art. Um, he did overheads, like a map and a number. Shot one, shot two, shot three, and here's a little carrot, the little arrow, arrow pointing at where the camera's going to be with an overhead. And he was disciplined in a way I'd never seen before. I've never seen it before, and I still haven't seen that before. He's a fascinating mind, and he had everything prepared ahead, way ahead of schedule when I met him. There's never like a catch-up or an unprepared aspect. So he's a very interesting guy. Like There's a lot more than just like he's kind of a cool, mysterious director who feels like very relatable and nerdy. You know, I think he has a special niche. But the preparedness level is maybe what makes him so powerful. And I believe that's his trick, is the writing goes on for a very long time with him and his partners that write to make sure everything's as buttoned up as possible. So that once you start opening the door, opening the kimono to others, everything's really buttoned up. And they're just blown away and they can really work hard. So he had no extra shots. But in, but in, in there, he was creating his edit, so he has options. So he's getting what coverage he needs. And you would board it sequentially to tell the story and have some overlap in the wides and the mediums, and then you would kind of figure out the pacing of where oh, most of the action would happen in the wide to start, and then it would be here, and he's having his say by saying the order of the shots, and you start to move through, and you're like, okay, now I've got the insert on the hand hitting the doorknob, or I need the spear flying through the air, and it's going to hit its target. That's going to be in mediums, and I'm going to do that as three panels. Is that, do you, do you uh, notate time on panels? Or, or what do you mean by that? Well, like, for example, that spear shot is only going to go for four seconds or, or four frames. No, or... the, the script would kind of give that notion. You oh, see how I many see. words, you see, like, what the description is. And, and then the script starts to become the boss, too. Gotcha. The script is, well, a well-written script is very, you don't, the director can kind of fall off a bus and you can still tell the story. Right. It will take a very different take on how the, as we saw with the Zack Snyder cut and all that yeah. stuff. It'll look a lot different, feel different, but the script, if it's well-written, it dictates what to do. And now in latter years, I'll board directly from the script without any input from the directors I work with other than let's take a look at what I've drawn and I put a sequence together. And sometimes in the very beginning stages, I'll want the extra input to get a flavor of how they want to approach things. But once the ball starts rolling through the story, there is actually like, maybe, I don't know, there's some famous guy who said there's like, Two ways to do this. Maybe David Fincher's two ways to shoot the scene the right way and the wrong way. Mm. <laughs> you know? So it's kind of like that. If it starts to work, it starts to work. And then you, and there's actually a pacing issue about dramatizing 
this is kind of like the 2021 Chris with 20 years experience roughly just dramatize the big turns how can you stretch it out it meaning can I elongate time spent like a, a missile flying through the air or a spear there is a length that's appropriate for how long you can hold this, the attention of the audience or the edge of their seat, depending on what part of the story you're telling. If it's the big, like, for example, the 300, at the end, a spear is getting thrown, right? We could analyze how much buildup for that moment yes. and then the payoff. Yeah. It's the ending, too. It's not the first shot. The first, the opening could be like, you know, p- punting the messenger into the crevasse, into the big hole, one long wide shot and a close-up it gets the job done but for the climax of the movie you're setting up even the uh the conversation between leonidas and the emperor guys xerxes is a beginning of edge of your seat because you know they have a plan when they're coming over like that giant crab shaped thing you know there's all these different ways you would just dramatize and that starts to become the simplification of it over time is like start providing options it was good when i was younger photocopying essentially every sentence which was one big achievement I remember doing on Divergent I was boarding every word to make sure I had everything for Neil Berger the director I wanted to make sure I didn't miss anything in all the options and that's good too because they'll be happy to see it all but at the end of the day too many options can screw up your edit Yeah. screw up the flow and when people don't have so much time they don't want to see all the options they don't tell the story the DP Alvin Kuchler pretty famous DP that actually worked with uh, Lynn Ramsey on quite a bit of things. We had like one dinner one night and I kept running him to the elevator in Chicago when I was working with him. And he started to clean my, he's like, no, 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 do it like this. Put me in the crowd. Just give me the shot. Put me in the crowd. I'm in the crowd over here. Put me in there. Like he started to like chip the way I think, thought. And I was like, wow, why, why are we working with the DP more? Why can't I have his office over there? Why is mine over here? How come we don't talk? And I'm like, oh, that's, you know, maybe smart by the director to keep his vision in there because it could get a lot of control mm. if you got two ambitious DP and storyboard artists talking. Mm. And there's a little bit of a difference, too, I find out later, too, when you start to get down. The DP has a very technical job, and you don't want to be throwing too many options at the DP at the wrong time in the process because he's got a lot of shit. He's ordering lights. He's got a certain budget to order his lights. Mm. You know, they have a lot of technical shit they have to deal with, too. How, 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 how well do you need to know lenses? Wide, long. Right. Those are my lenses. Right. Normal. Right. You know? Long, zoning in, getting insert. And then uh, I'm uh, F with the perspective grid, depending on like the needs of the moment. And I'll give you more tilt and that stuff. But And I just know, okay, a higher number is longer and lower number is wider, and that's it. And I'm not a cameraman. I, I, I'm actually probably stemming back from my childhood just the idea I still think of a lot of things like I can't I have a lot of issues I'm still working through I don't post my artwork very much I don't feel like I can visibly show myself as an accomplished artist it doesn't feel comfortable for me and maybe that just I don't know why because I never had to is that is that something that even though you admit you don't want to do that you're not ready to do that is that something that you would like to do? I think so I think it's a I think it's a phobia I think it's a neuroses and a phobia at this point in my life that uh, there's some fear because I've the beginning as I got accepted through the artwork and then that path was really elite. It's nice to say I worked on Garden State and I, I worked with Zach Braff and Darren Aronofsky like the beginning of my career. Then went to Blue Sky Studios, worked with Wes Anderson, all these great names I worked with. And a part of that looked like it happened from not promoting myself. 
I don't know why I got that in those rooms and with those people for those very special moments. And I made them very special and sacred. They might not have been special and sacred for another person. They were very special and sacred for me every, every time I had that kind of, those interactions. It's like the Dungeons and Dragons moments of like, we're making something right here. That, that, if, that, that rings a bell with me because something you said earlier about knowing that you had to get out of where you were, you had to get out of Long Island and, and you know, make that gear shift. And there's something about... I mean, how many people who are, who are at the beginning of their career or in a career and they don't make those decisions, you know, they, they, they don't realize the importance of it. And the reason I say it rings a bell is because you just said something then about making sure that when you're doing it, you were enjoying it and you, you were, you know, getting the most you could out of it. And instead of going, looking back and going, oh, you know what, that was a great opportunity. Why didn't I squeeze every drop out of that? And, you know, I think there's a, a real intelligence or an in, in, in instinctual something that makes you go, Hang on a second. This is an important moment. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I think that's that. That I earlier brought up the Buddhist stuff because that became kind of like in my late twenties, the next round of higher education I received. The first higher education was art training, and how to use technical computer stuff and how to draw and that stuff, and how to survive as an artist uh, and make a living. The next one was this Buddhist stuff. And when I first read, in the, not too many pages away from those five professions, was what it means to have a, a teacher relationship. The idea of wanting to give a gift. Just you want to off, give offerings to your mm-hmm. teachers. This under, respect for the teacher, for the master, for the people that would lead you to another place. Mentally, not just physically, because I... I had to leave and go to different places mentally from where I live to, to reach who I really believed I was on the inside. I couldn't really do that physically. I wasn't able to, like, say, I'm going to now turn myself into a physical specimen and be great at football or soccer. I didn't have the mental, like, skill, like, fortitude, probably, to, to turn it into that. It's funny talking about that with my buddy as an athlete. And I, I, looking back, started recognizing, holy shit, the way you interacted with every one of those teacher-type people consistently... I think that came from somewhere else. That came from, I don't know why I had that. That's luck. That's good fortune. Because to not have that, really, you miss out. And it fucks you up. And it created a sense of respect for that, for that, that that experience happened. I got to carry that. Because people start to look at you a little different when that happened. That also affected me. It's like, well, people looked at me a little, because you're associated with someone who's talented like that. They don't, I'm still a mystery. I never said I'm not talented but I happen to work with those people. And I never feel comfortable saying I'm that talented, whatever that means, as those people I worked with. But, um, but uh, it creates a, a desire to be very supportive of anybody trying to make anything. Very supportive of young artists and teaching 11 years now at SVA. Or even if it's a first-time feature film director. I'm, it's almost like a nurt- I have a nurturing motherly instinct. Mm-hmm. Even I was just working with Tim Federley, first-time feature, he had already a really successful TV show, and he's a great writer. But it's first-time feature, and there's a part of me that felt very motherly to offering all the different mm. tools so that when he goes to set, he feels comfortable and confident and knows, has a bigger idea and a bigger vision and feels good. So he can use that time wisely. Because you're in a... You're in a renting, they're renting some mansion. There's 60 people running around. And that guy's one decision, if he's less tired, and I'm looking after his mind. So he's, like, he's rested so that he can be a little bit more turned on so the final product is a little bit better so everyone makes their money back and all those people like there's guys lined up in vans that are like 
driving people from one side of the set to the other. Like that's their job. That's part of the union gig. And this guy's rigging up cranes with lights. Like you, if the movie works, all those people benefit. Mm. So, or it's a fond memory to share, share with their family versus the movie kind of sucks. But, so you but, really want to make people's movies good because it goes so much farther for everyone to be a sense of pride and joy and last a lifetime if it's good, you know. And what you're what you're touching on there is something that I that I have this uh, oh, such a belief in. You know, the, the thing about what your what your what your job is. Like for me, I'm a, I'm a colorist. That doesn't mean I just do color grading. That means you know I have to work with the client. I have to get that idea out of their head. I, I have to also then offset that maybe you've got a strong-willed DP who's got his or her two cents, and you know, and so you're doing you you wear a lot of different hats as a colorist, and I, and I think as a well at least as a successful colorist, you can. I, there's young people out there I know. I've seen the work they've done, and I go, wow, they're freaking amazing. Yeah. You know, but that's only one part of the job. So for you as a storyboard artist. From what you're touching on, then there's a lot of parts of the job, right? Oh God, yeah. I mean, it's the, especially too when you don't, you're, you're, you're getting paid more than a, a square meal, and a little bit of pot. Once you start pushing back, and you're like, no, I'm having a really important influence on your film, and I, I want to have, stuff. I want to have a have a life and uh, pay bills and not be like borderline destitute and like appreciative, because I'm very good at being appreciative, and you're and you're nice, and that's why you got the job because you have chart and you don't know when it feels it you're like a free thing because I started that way as an intern I worked for free you know uh, then it comes a little more uh, interesting how do you play that role and explain without because I don't have an agent or anybody I joined the union recently but there's nobody vouching or pushing me other than maybe one person along the way getting an introduction uh, you got to keep that up the person might be recommending you is the last person you had to negotiate with. Tricky as hell. Mm. That's why I started going back and talking to mentors again. I, one guy I talked to is Bill Frake. is a guy who has a big time storyboard artist at Blue Sky Studios and Disney. And uh, Bob Camp, who is one of the co-creators of Ren and Stimpy. Like I just talked with him yesterday, and Bill Frake also yesterday. Like I'll talk with both of them pretty regularly. They work a storyboard artist. They've managed to just be regular middle class people and figure out how to survive drawing and at the top of their game and all the desires of being, I can create anything and you can sit in a room with these guys and the productivity is out of this world. Bill Frey can do a hundred storyboards a day um, and I've seen him store, re-storyboard all of Ice Age 2 on top of what everybody did, they put him in a room to clean it up because they had to do a visual effects pass to see is there any ways we can cut out the visual effects component. Yeah, sure. By hand, story was the whole movie, an animated movie. And he's like, we can bring the sh camera up here and you don't have to see the ground where the water's splashing. Just use sound effects. And he's cutting out stuff so they can actually complete the movie in under one year. They're brilliant and they're holding so much information. I hope mentorship, everyone can find it. I think of all the crazy shit in the world, I'm like, so much it we fixed by mentorship. Because you can't bullshit your mentor with this crazy cockamamie last bullshit conversation you had with your drunken friend. You can't, you can't sit in them f wearing bullshit all over you. They see through it, they burn it off you, and it comes from a desire like you know, to still want to do something, to be like somebody. Idolization in that sense is very good. You've got to have these idols. For me, that was a very important thing, and it looked like artists at first, like who I idolized that made stuff. I love Quentin Tarantino. I just love, you know, like, I had these idols. I love Frank Frazetta. I love Jessica Mano. 
Miyazaki, you know, they, so you want, so the desire is very important. And then you, if you can meet someone and have the damned good fortune to be a decent enough human being to not repel the mentor because they won't waste time. They don't have time. You need to, you need to even have enough freaking meditative concentrations in the Buddhist reference. I like Buddhism because I saw a lot of truth in all the frameworks. They're giving yeah. you a lot of framework, meditative concentration and the idea of three. You know what? If you task a mentor type three times for something, they should respond. And actually it makes a lot of sense. And if someone knocks on my door three times, I'll respond. And I have kids that'll write me an email. One time I was like, I'm busy. I can't get back to you. I want to write you. You wrote me too much in the email. Mm. I'd like to respond to you, but I can't respond to your damn questions. I don't have 45 minutes to respond to your questions right now and look at your links and watch videos. I don't have that bandwidth. I have like friends and work coworkers. I need my own projects need that time. But if they hit me up again and then they hit me up again, I'm there. And by the second time, I'm pretty much there. But it's just a, it's a sad reality of life. When someone's good, there's a lot of shit going on. And you got family. You can't do it all. But there's something about you have to have the meditative concentration, the consistency to keep showing up because you want it, the desire to want it, take a punch in the face, to not get into your school of choice, to not get in. You have to get denied. You have to deal with rejection um, and not run away. And you'd be surprised how many students I never heard from again after the first time. Even after I got back to them sometimes. Hey, can you send me something on your end? Let me see what you did and you never hear from him again either. Mm. And that's, that's, that's reality. It's not like a knock because we all have that where you can't have, there's only so much energy and gravitational force to stay close. But there's some kind of magic there that I think, you know, every human benefits from that. And it goes really far when you start talking about trades and crafts and art because that stuff will be lost. The stum- I'm talking to Bill Frake. <laughs> Last week I talked to them every day, like six or seven days in a row. Six or seven days in a row, Sunday to Friday to Saturday, and then maybe on Sunday I actually call him back on like Father's Day, and we see each other Father's Day. He's helping me in part because I have the family. Mm-hmm. I laid it all out. I visited him on my birthday last summer during COVID after nearly fucking up a job with Darren Aronofsky after work. I didn't really, but it was a little. I was like, I'm up on two wheels here. I wasn't in enough direction. I started making up all kinds of crazy art, and I was like tr- showing off. I'm trying to prove myself. I went back to like a younger version of myself because I was a bit confused as to what the ask was. And then he talked to me about that. And I spent like a day, as two days with him. I drove out to his house. One day was just therapy. We sat like we're talking now, talking about what it is to do this job for a whole day. From like 10 or 11 in the morning till 5.30 at night, we sat in his basement and we just talked. And we then at some point we started talking about the art too, but we talked about what it is to deal with the producer, the director. He's also been an EMT guy. He works at the fire department, volunteer. And he's like, you know, I'll come in there, guns blazing, seeing someone holding their head in their hands. And I go over, start treating somebody and working out the lenses and putting alcohol and figuring all out. And then they're like, what, what are you doing? I'm, I'm not, that's the person who's sick. You just came in with your agenda. That person was just distraught, but the other person's really got the injury. You could be what, coming in with your agenda, trying to prove yourself. You might not even be treating the actual issue. So starting to, he started to say, you come in like the EMT. I'm here to help. How can I help you? What's going on? And you really take a step back and you try to perceive and get as much information on what they're really trying to solve. Because if you start getting ahead of yourself, proving yourself, bringing that agenda into the room, there's a whole other animal has to be contended with. Your agenda. Be the helper. Support them. And then if you want to kick it up and the help really looks like something else, then be that. So it's actually a very beautiful lesson to slow your roll and listen to what needs to be done.
and then execute on that. I mean, it's more complicated than I think at a certain point, but 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 that's exactly the point. Is 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 you know yeah you're a really good artist. Not only that, you're good at then telling a story from that. It's not just one panel. It's it's it needs to be these multiple panels to tell stories. So, but that's the one part of your job you're really good at. But you've got to be good at all those other parts as well to be a successful story. Yeah, yeah, and you got to negotiate. You got to you got to have enough. You have to have been, I guess, burned enough and done enough free work uh, to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm about to do something really special here, and I guess start seeing the results. And it started at a certain point of developing, changing the way I worked to be what I wanted the job to look like more. So it started to become, now you're in my arena, and when you come in in my door, I'm going to take care of you. And this is what I need, and I guess it's an important one for anybody to negotiate. What do I need to do my job well to be happy? What do I need? I need, if my needs are met, I'll give you what you need. I need to make sure I know what I'm doing because it doesn't make sense for me to be working and then being poor. <laughs> it's not going to help me. I need to feel good about it. And I start, you know, you start to get a sense of like what the loot is and you can negotiate with them. And I, I don't know why I'm talking about that so much, the negotiating, but it's well, a big be, part be, of it. Because, because it is part of the, the hours you're putting in yeah. is your life. And the, the, there's less life as the, every day goes on for you. So like what, how are you spending it? And you don't need to be up till midnight every time trying to get the job done when people don't even care. And what I really found is if I charge a little bit more, not so much to be offensive, but a little bit more that they have to pay attention, they're going to be, they're, they're kind of more excited and they're more interested to spend the time with me to answer my questions. Because as even being on the other line of it, when I'm a director, if it's somebody who isn't pushing back about the needs for their time, they start to get lower on the list of my priorities. I can't even help it. It's just nature. It happens very quickly. Mm. You, I'd love, and I, I've, I've been that other person every day, and I still can't change how that nature works. But if they start forcing their agenda, say, I want a meeting with you now to solve something so I don't waste any more time, you perk up to be that direct. So I start doing that stuff, and now I don't like to even go away. Like, okay, let's talk, and then I go away with it, and then I come back. Now I'm pretty, uh, my delight is to work with them directly and just do the boards in front of them. Mm. And then it's there. And what that means too is I have to let go of my agenda of like, well, I gotta make it look so pretty. Like this other artist has to make it so pretty. I'm like, nah, I'll get more. I'm gonna make the edit work. I'm gonna make the story work. And we're gonna do it now. Part of that is a conversation. Mm. So you need to be present with them. Like the same kid I was in the coffee shop with. I have a question, I answer, he answers it right in front of me. The idea that I'm gonna go away and be some like marvel that like can just solve all your problems for you and then I give you back the storyboards because then I flip my hair over because I'm so dandy. It's not like that. And I tried that and I got asked to do that just last week. They're like, Chris, oh my God, we need your cinematic like eye and you can, you've can you worked in all these movies. We need the movie stuff. Bring bring you, bring all this stuff. And I was like, wow, this feels really good. Thanks for the massage. And I was like, then they get off the phone and I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? And I got a whole file server I got to download, look at references and try to, I got eight different movies, re- I'm not kidding, eight different links to movies to reference. And I'm going to pull all that together and synthesize it and make something awesome because they love me four days I'm going to do three different sequences I'm like guys this is ridiculous and I'm not that no one can be that let's I did two days of that and I said tomorrow morning let's get on the form start early and we're going to go over it I have enough ideas I use the time a little bit to create some ideas let's start going through and then we started to put the edit together and then they walked away with a bunch of scenes that were an edit you just got to animate it now mm. but the edit works so everyone can now punch it and it's going to be funny and hysterical and all the pieces are going to be great and the drama we dramatized 
slowed down time over the important moments and created shapes within the frame that create interest so that the edit can keep cutting through and keep your eye interested. And as it becomes more emotionally intense, we're getting closer to the souls of the characters. And we even were writing story, we were changing story. It's like this character should be the one, make them proactive, not the other character. Why is the security guard doing it and not the vice president? You know, we started, and why is this person resolving their arc? Is this, is this person resolving an arc? And this is where all the story training came in. I'm like, that's the best friend of the hero coming in to save the day. Can we, we literally worked it out. It's like, can you wrap up the dialogue? Is it possible to connect that to a resolution in their relationship? Because wow. he's doing something unexpected that saves the day and lets the protagonist see something differently. That's the, the, the role of this best friend character is talking, is reminding the hero who they really are. So let's like make that really happen and then stop the nuclear bomb from going on, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And and I was like, felt really proud that all of the, and I'm not an expert, I didn't read every, I, I, I just didn't read a lot of story, I don't even read that much, you know, I'm pretty dyslexic, it's like hard for me to read, it takes a lot of concentration, especially with a kid, no books being read anymore. Um, and I'm not someone who read tons of sci-fi, I wish I did, I'm like, maybe I'll go back to Dune again and just reread that, why? Why even one? Why stray? <laughs> and um, uh, I, I was like, well, it's from the teaching. 11 years of working with students, I know the patterns. And there's a range that 90% of like story issues are going to fall into, and now I know what they are. Wow. So I can sense pretty quickly, here's a p- do this. And they're kind of the same, and the, and the bulk of it is the same foundational rules keep applying. And it's like, that will take you through all of it, and the rest is, is being fanciful. And being playful on top of those strong bones, and then we got through it. And they, I walked away. Everyone's high fiving. Everybody loved it. I came in and did the fucking climax for a f- feature film animation from a guy that did a bunch of TV show, my cartoon president, and now they have their own TV sh- a movie. You know, so it's like they just need a little bit of a touch of cinema, make it exciting. It's a film. They have more space. They're not used to it because they're doing TV show. It's just joke, 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 jokes per minute. JPM, you know. I knew, I knew when we started talking, uh, it, it was going to be an awesome, fun chat because I, I know what you're like, even though I've only known you for a short time. I know how excited you get when you're telling stories. And, you know, I've got two more kind of questions to round us off. Do it. But, I mean, you've, you've got a heck of a back catalogue now of projects you've worked on. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox and, mm-hmm. and, and all these amazing, and, and uh, Black Swan and... Mm-hmm. Is there, as a storyboard artist, is, it, is there a different skill set for working on short form, like commercial work versus feature film or, 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 or television, or is it part of the same pie? Same in the sense, don't waste anybody's time. It's a Kurt Vonnegut rule about writing. Don't waste anybody's time. So if you're going to make a commercial, even if or a 15-second, like, whatever they call those things, a bumper, I don't know, can there be some satisfaction? So I'm going from a very abstraction of how to satisfy the audience with what they're watching visually. Even if it's just a lot of noise, visual noise coming up and with, with shapes on a screen that are going to put a logo at the end. Is there, a pa- is there a moment of hesitation where the screen goes kind of empty from all the noise? Or was the noise maybe overwhelming? And by noise, I mean different shapes and lines. I had a student showing me he followed up with me. Thank God this kid followed up with me a month after class. Say, yeah, but probably we talked. Yeah. A bunch of noise coming on. 
And then the logo, I'm like, can we, can you have some negative space before the logo shows up? Can we wipe it out so it's like a little hesitation? And then the reveal, and you make it calm. Can we emotionally hold the audience's attention through the variety of shape, which is essentially, when we're watching narrative film, we've just taken shapes that look like people, which do a certain job on us quickly to give us emotions, happy, sad, we can know what they are because it's like a fast shortcut to feeling emotion, but you can do it with Dada Cinema, which is a bunch of shapes moving. We did it with balloon dogs. They're dancing, there's no faces, there's no something called uh, tumbleweed tango. Uh, balloon dogs dancing and having fun. But there's no faces, there's no human beings, there's no dogs. There's no dialogue. It's, there's not even faces shifting. It's just shapes of weird, strangely shaped turkey you, you, can, you can tell we're recording in Brooklyn yeah. uh, with, with the cars and the singing and the, although it's summer Brooklyn, I guess it would be different if it was winter Brooklyn. There you go. DMX is posse. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Two month anniversary. Um, so, so in that sense, you could take whatever the limitation is, the boundary. So, what's in common between the short, adver- short film, advertising, animation, feature? It's going to go in a square, and there's going to be an end, a beginning and end. And the time frame is going to be 15 seconds, or 30 seconds, or a minute, or th- seven minutes, or five minutes. And each one has its own kind of mathematical amount of correct information. There's never really, I've never found a shortcut even though they try, of information to get through it quicker. It'll be easy by being shorter or we're going to have a shortcut or do less with more. It's always the same amount of actual information mathematically to cover 30 seconds to be interesting. The right amount of close-ups or if it's not a close-up or it's less shots, then the camera's moving. And if it's not the camera moving, then there's more people in the shot. You can't really escape because I've tried and I'm asked to try often along the way. (laughs) Hey, it's on. It's gonna. Or you could do more with close-up shots, you know, and then, or or inserts. There's gonna be more shots in the edit, you know. So there's kind of like a certain amount of information that makes something interesting to watch. And the short film has to cover an arc in a very efficient way, and it's a really hard fucking challenge. I'm probably gonna frame that even more precisely the next time I teach, in the terms of this is your rite of passage as a filmmaker. It's harder than maybe going to war, if we go to Spartan analogy, right? You're gonna fight the war, you're gonna fight human beings, it's gonna be blood, you have to take the life of a human. You know, it's gonna be crazy. Maybe that's the feature film. You have to work in the phalanx and you have to deal with the marching and the tent in the cold. Different problems. But you alone in the woods as a spe- with a spear when you're eight years old, dealing with a wolf, that might be harder. It's because the, the scale is different, but it's just as important. Because that's going to make or break you. <laughs> I didn't expect to go there. I love that analogy. Okay? So it's a rite of passage to do the short film. Uh, and it's every bit as hard, but it's smaller when you go in scale. But you have to, the lessons learned there and what it takes to do it right is critical. You have to understand the arc. You have to understand the characters feeling real in their environment. Because we force things. You force things because you have an agenda. Because it actually takes you, you have to change as you make the short film. You have to, or any film, you have to take on the perspective of the character at times, and you have to take on the perspective of the writer. That's a change already right there. Mm. You have to be able to sit, have enough meditative concentration to sit through that metamorphosis of that transition from one to the other perspective shift. It'll never be honest. And then you need to understand antagonistic forces perspective, or it's going to be like lame, because it's not going to be 
a bad guy or an obstacle that's actually fucking interesting. You're going to make a pushover, which is what we need because we need that too. As psychology, as a freshman writing teacher, I know how the fuck I'm a writing teacher. I scammed a lot of people to be in that position for 11 years. People are going to hear this. I know, yeah. good. Find uh, it'll be more exciting though. Yeah, it's you know, Now they have to, what do they do? Good. Your own psychology, you need to, you want to win. It's like the kid sharing. Like Lucian wants to share, but he wants to win. He doesn't really want to share. It's confusing. So he wants to really, he'll let you touch it for a second and take it back kind of when you're not looking. And he'll kind of trick you and he'll take it right back because you don't really want to share. You don't really want to take on the antagonistic's perspective because you're creating your first character mm. who wins. You want your hero to win. So you don't want to really like put them through hell and feel the feelings of that. But that's when the stuff gets good. Mm. So that has to be done somewhere. And you're figuring out on a, on a feature, then you're just going to like, a lot more people are going to get hurt, you know, and you won't finish it. And I've tried this a few times to go a bit bigger than, because I know theoretically what to do, but there's experientially more time has to be spent hunting the wolf I think for me when, when you say uh, try to go a bit bigger what do you mean I mean before this you're, this, this you're looking at this massive text stuck with this how he's got launched this conversation I had my own f feature film that a friend wrote that I was ready to figure out how to do I was gonna I, I had done the work of the AD and then the first day I start doing that work I meet an AD at my meditation class somebody comes and she's she's like I'm an AD I'm like get the hell out of here I just bought my pens and I highlighted everything and I'm starting to put a breakdown of everything so I'm like well the AD is the next job so I can actually get a schedule and a budget together and she's like oh my god that's amazing you're doing I was like yeah well, I can help you I'm like okay wow that's exactly on schedule karmically you want something try to do it you know you gotta start to rub the two sticks together yeah. and that draws the magnetism it was funny and she helped me with it figure out the budget but it was maybe a step or two too big for my britches because I was relying on the writer and relying on the location scout I knew the writer pretty well the location scout guy I didn't know, and uh, was a friend of the writer. So it's kind of two guys working together that are be their best friends. And I think that just human nature, I didn't have enough power financially. I needed them to be in as partners, and I couldn't get feedback. They, my writer would never meet with me to take the notes, and I'm like, hey, I went through the entire script. I have notes on everything, and they're relatively small. I want to carve it up into a certain place. I want to like shape it a bit, because I, I understand what the characters are. Mm. And we never could get the, the first draft. I'm like, what am I supposed to do? And he kept putting me off, and which is very brutal to be, uh, oh, well, I'm out of town. I have to be with my daughter. It's like, all right, that's fair. Be... And then his baby's coming, and grandmother died, and he's way out of town, and we could never get it. And I, and I had, to, had to drop it because it was a bit too big. If I had more power, which would have been developed from a short film or something a bit smaller, and I have, have, I have short films under my belt, but I've often done that in partnership as a co-director. Mm. So there's still little pieces of my development that, honestly... Um, I feel yeah. has to be done. It has to be taken care of, or it'll just never be able to bridge the next thing. It's like jumping three checkerboard squares. I think we did that once on looked at the, the the sidewalk, and it's like if you don't get that shored up, it's too big of a leap and it's too fragile, and it will like nature won't allow it. Um, and I've done just about everything like out of precaution in those squares around me, but it has to go one more where I take full responsibility of a short or short animated film. Even a short animated film, I have didn't. Developments, amazing script, full pitch package, four hundred thousand dollar budget for animation that'd be like ten minutes long. It's too big. It's yeah. too big right now. That's still too big of a jump. That's almost as big as taking on a feature type of thing. It's like it's the budget's too big. It's gonna go on for a year. Can I really take on that responsibility while I'm still hustling storyboard jobs to make a living? And some of them are great. How is that all really gonna fit together? I don't know. And I think it's too big. It has to be a smaller 
project next as a filmmaker because I'm also a filmmaker too. It has to be a bit smaller, but it's a strange trap that's a bit unfulfilled. I'm really like very, very, very clear on. It's a bit hard too with a baby or just turning three. Are you really gonna like sacrifice all that hours now when it could be yeah, sleeping? It's a huge commitment. Be with your wife, be with your kid. Like what? What am I giving up to spend time to try to make something that no one's really asking for? Mm. They're kind of asking for it, but everyone's fucking busy and it's, they got shit to do. They don't need another film to watch right now. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'd like to. My um, I, I, you're gonna love my last question because it's uh, it's very color centric. Uh, where or does color ever play a role in storyboarding? Fascinating question. It can. It's not going to be the storyboard artist to deliver on the color. If you start technically, if you start playing with color, like making choices that are going to be deliberated on, you toast. It takes it's, it's incredible amount of work to affect color uh, early on. Because what if the shirt's wrong? How many drawings do I have to change a shirt on? I had a, I had a, I had a <laughs> commercial job where she went after I did it. I was like, okay, can you put it in color? And have it look like this, and I said, I don't think you understand. Like, there's lighting on this, the lighting shifts. What shade of blue is it going to be when there's tone? I can't just flat paint like a toy set, like a bunch of toys. How do you start coloring? You know how much work it is to start painting that, like frame by frame. It's like it's crazy. And I talked her out of it. I found, and this is from my teacher, Bill Frake, said, put underneath your layer in Photoshop, put a tint. Just to break it up so it's not white. Try purple, try an orange, see how it feels. It feels awesome. It starts feeling finished. It feels like looking like something. And I'll do that sometimes. It's like, oh. Or I'll put sepia tone. And then when I give my washes, there's just a little bit of warmth. It looks more finished. And it fe- you start to feel something. If you go too hard and it starts looking a bit much, but it can be relaxing even for my eyes instead of having a harsh white to put some color back there but just putting a tone behind the whole thing then it gets a little confusing well okay i'm in a new scene don't want that scene to be blue and it feels like it's so cold why would i put this blue back here or just purple um but maybe pink starts to feel a little bit more that's okay from the, the orangey beige and then it starts becoming delightful when i do my own color work i'm very colorful i put tons of color it's a bit garish sometimes because i'm so excited to be using color because i spent all of my life looking black and white contrast and just line work so much of my day like i'll draw you know a couple hundred boards in a week maybe you know maybe 200 or 250 in a good week and uh i'm not looking at color at all my wife can see a lot of color in the sky like she's looking at sunsets i'm like i don't get it why why is that interesting (laughs) to you i don't see the subtle hues of green in there i'm like i don't get it but it's good for you she's like take a picture i'm like okay it's not gonna show up it's nothing there but i get that it looks cool i've just seen the silhouette uh, so it's a little bit damn uh, sad, but when I paint, the few times I take a painting class and I'm painting and mixing colors, and you start seeing colors, it's quite beautiful. Like right now, I forget that there is so many different colors on the walls. And if you've been painting though and mixing color, you can like trip out and just look in a white room and see like the edges of the corner, how see how the dark the shadow is, and then there's almost like a buzz of white getting right before you hit the shadow mm. and it could be, you could just trip out on that and you're like oh what's is there there's blue bouncing in from the blue light but as a gen- but as a general rule then for for a storyboard artist it doesn't come into play that much sometimes they've asked for a finished painting type stuff because they have to sell something through right. so I'm painting and I'm choosing color and then it's a lot of work to switch that type of thinking a fast to the slowness of like you can even be very creative and slow and thinking like 
with light, and I wish I had more time training that, but uh, it's it doesn't it doesn't come up. It's a choice that comes, I think, with the DP. Mm-hmm. I mean, as a storyteller, right off the bat, as you design, I always say I got three important principles on it: evoke emotion. You know, if this is the, these principles are categorized as things we like in movies, things we would like to do with our movies is what we like. This is what we see and everything that's unforgettable for us that we could recall and say, this is my favorite shit. It's going to evoke your emotions. The seemingly impossible will become possible. And style serves the story. Or choices serve the design. Right? Or design influences your choices. Right? And uh, that's where color is style serving the story. Mm. Right? And that's like make it rainy. Make it a bit bluer. Punch up the colors. Reduce the colors. Pick pick that. Where do I need someone to look? And is it going to be a consistent theme? You know, is it going to be showing a red coat? You know, what are we going to do? And then that could very well show up in the storyboards. And as time goes on, now things are not black and... They don't need to be black and white. Everyone's looking at them yeah. digitally. Um, sometimes it's very helpful to add a splash of color to make sure people know what they're doing. It maybe just think then for a moment if... Uh the Schindler List storyboards had a little red coat in there or not. Yeah, I'm wondering. Yeah. I'm wondering when they plan to do that or if that came up later. Yeah. It's very interesting. Here in this in this uh, book... In this so so Chris, is, Chris has brought a book, book along with him called The Matchless Opponent, yeah. uh, written and directed by T.J. Misney. And here, this has like a thousand storyboards. Wow. In pretty this. high detail. How, how, this book is huge. Yeah, it's like 400 and something pages. Oh my gosh. So a little, I'll put a little purple on a bruise because I wanted you to see that he got a bruise on his face. Gotcha. Right? And that we decided it with the director that we wanted to make a couple of important things punch. And I think here she's throwing a tennis ball. And... Is it even a little bit of... A little blue in the pool. Just, just, to, just to show you there's a pool outside. So yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? Just a couple things. And that's not, you know, probably even the best use of that. But I think she's going to throw it. Because it's like, yeah, oh, is, just yeah. to see it, because this, this, this tennis ball is relevant to the story. Yeah, right. So there's a couple pl- moments where that happens, and I think there's like a someone in a red f- photo processing room where we made the whole thing red, just to make it punch up. And you could keep going like this and yeah. do more. Yeah, it's it's incredible, though, because you, cause you, you put this book here but when we first started talking, and I didn't really glance at it until right now. And I went, oh, you bought a, a, a reference book or something? But then I've just clicked. This is this is what you did. This is the book you were talking about where you storyboarded the entire... The entire movie as yeah. a pitch package. Wow. So it was a real commitment by this director, and we sat hip to hip for like almost four months, three or four months. Wow. Yeah, about four months. Every beat. And it's not just every... It's not like a shot, like Garden State where I boarded everything... But it was like one shot gets it covered. DP knows what to do with that. Mm-hmm. Here it was like if it's a long take, which he had an opening with a dozen frames to show a camera that's roaming around a room with mm-hmm. eight people in it or ten people, and there's like different people you want to focus in on. So it was a lot of that was that's a, that's very tedious. Then you have to be consistent and feel the f- the beats of action of the camera, a one camera move as you go through. As yeah. you go through, yeah. and uh, precisely there's even like there's some tedious things where you spent like a couple hours of a day trying to get one camera move right oh wow like it's very precise right now it's kind of been a development hell thing it might die it might come back at one point but as of right now after covid it's taken a hike the stars are had to move on to different things so no one's really retained 
for it, but it was with CAA, which is a pretty big deal. Um, and I wondered, as much as showcasing the talent of the director, it's like it becomes... I think most people would be really stoked to have that much preparation to, to, to hack at. Then uh, be like, oh, it's it's an over-wielding director with has everything locked in. Where do I fit in? I think it makes everyone rather have everything buttoned up because you could read the whole thing and watch the whole movie mm. and know it works. The mm. story's good. So if a couple of things changes from there, who cares? The story was really good. It's a big piece. So it was a fun thing, and only a few people have it. There's like 30 or 40 copies of this book. Wow, that's um, awesome. Yeah, and it was used and sent to a lot of producers and people around the world to get on board and stars. It was pretty cool. Well, look, I want to um, I want to thank you so much for for sitting in this um, unair conditioned room mm. and talking about your art because, like I said to you, I'm so sincere with it. it, it it's a it's a part of the filmmaking process that's always fascinated me, always. Mm. And um, and and whenever I have had the luxury to, to see some storyboards, it's usually after the fact, actually. But I, I, I just marvel at it, you know, because I go, oh my gosh, there it is. Mm-hmm. That's the movement. That's the you know. Mm-hmm. So so thank you for you know sitting down and chatting me through stuff. There's so much more I want to ask you, but I, I, I you know I should wrap it up. I should behave myself. Yeah. But thanks, man. Thank you, and I'm here too. If you ever want to board something, you. Uh, you want to get creative with yeah. I'm here or story wise or read your writing or whatever you want to do maybe because maybe. you're a great Ex- cinematographer too you're not wow. only it's been a while. riding the box it's been a while well um, I've seen your photos and every single one of them like, god damn <laughs> you're so talented thanks man thank you cool cool thank you thank you Vincent I want to thank Chris for being uh, my guest on the first episode of season two of The Color Couch. Uh, and if you want to check out any of his work, please, please, please look at his website, which is chriswolfgangmouch.com. Mouch is M-A-U-C-H. So that's chriswolfgangmouch.com. Uh, if you want to check out any of my stuff, what I've been working on lately, you can have a look on my uh, Instagram, which is Vincent Taylor Color. I want to thank Amelia Chapelo, my producer extraordinaire and editor, and uh, take it easy. And next week we're going to be talking to uh, Dee McClellan, uh, a colorist in Australia who is amazing. Her body of work is incredible. Thanks, everyone. See ya. <laughs>